And so that started a deep questioning of like, who am I and what am I really? And, 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 and through a reading of autobiography of a yogi and different books, Krishnamurti, I, I started to realize that I'm, I'm not this body, I'm not this form. The soul has no passport. The soul has no nationality. The soul has no skin color. You know, my mother was yellow as a Japanese woman, and I didn't really see skin color. I just saw the soul. So in that sense, it was a great, it was different. It was a blessing because I didn't identify with anything, but I identified with everything at the same time. And then that was, it became a real blessing. Hey, my friends, dear listeners, welcome to another episode of the Nishant Greg Show. This show is for people who want to live a life of excellence, love, and joy. My mission is to bring awareness about transformation and healing and liberation. My job on this show is to invite the world-class experts to deconstruct the practices, routines, and habits to help you live a fulfilled and abundant life. My today's guest is Kut Blackson. Kut is a transformational teacher, speaker, visionary guide, and national best-selling author of You Are The One and The Magic of Surrender. Kut has been recognized as the mindfulness guru that billionaires go to for advice by Inc. Magazine. With a high social media profile, he has been featured on The Larry King Show, Dr. Drew, NPR, Fox & Friends, Mind Body Green, and many more. Kut Blackson offers a fresh, bold look at spiritual awareness for a whole new generation. Born in Ghana, West Africa, his cultural upbringing as the child of a Japanese mother and a Ghanaian father has spanned four different continents. His unique lineage laid the foundation for his approach to breaking down barriers and unlocking an individual's true gifts and greatness. And now, without further ado, please enjoy this wide-ranging conversation with Kurt Blackson. Kurt, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure and honor to have you. And <laughs> when I was reading about you, I, I kept saying cute, cute, cute. Uh, so it is cute. So where does your name come from and what does it mean? Look, I was born in Ghana, West Africa. My father's from Ghana. My mother's Japanese. I grew up in London. My name is officially a Ghanaian name. The official name is Kutu, K-U-T-U. I was named after the former president of Ghana. My full name is Ignatius Kutu Achampong, Blackson, my last name. And it Excuse me, Ignatius Kutu Achampong was a former president of Ghana in the 70s, early 80s. Uh, my father was his spiritual teacher, guide, a mentor. And, uh, you know, in, in Africa, it's kind of a sign of respect if a, if a big man wants to give your son his name. And so I was offered the name and my father accepted. And so Kutu, yeah, my, my understanding is that Kutu is something that holds water. And so it, it got shortened to Kut as a nickname for sure. So does your dad and mom, do they do they say Coot or do they have any nickname for you? Yeah, they just call me Coot. <laughs> so when I was reading about you, I learned that at the age of five, you, you were open to serving humanity. You had some revelations. Could you talk about that experience while you were growing up? Yeah, I don't know if it was open to serving humanity, but at the age of five, I was a very empathetic kid. 
And so I felt people's pain very deeply. And, and I, I was very emotional in that sense, very sensitive. And so there was a part of me that wanted to alleviate suffering in some way. I just didn't know what that would look like, you know. And, and so, uh, you know, at five, I didn't know what form that would take. I just felt people. And so my childhood was a bit unusual. I mean, for me, I thought it was normal. But apparently, it was a little different in that my first memories as a kid was seeing, I remember being around six, seven years old, seeing a crippled woman crawling on the floor, on the ground. And she picks up the, the gravel, the sand that this man walks on, wipes it on her face and stands up. I guess you could call that a miracle. And so week after week, I grew up seeing blind people see and deaf people hear and people stand up out of wheelchairs. The same man who sand she picked up would look at a woman in a wheelchair and say, why are you in this wheelchair? You're not sick, stand up. He would look at someone who would come in with crutches and say, throw your crutches away and walk. And, and this man was my father. He built 300 churches in Ghana, West Africa. He built a huge church in London, about 4,000 people every Sunday, uh, hundreds of thousands, thousands of people in, in, in Ghana. And he was a spiritual mystic. He was, he was a African, I used to call him an African Siddha. Uh, more than anything, and he would touch people and they would fly across the room, you know, kind of like a Shakti <laughs> experience, but in a more Christian tradition. And so he was a unique character. And so when I was age eight, I started speaking in my father's churches. That's how my speaking career began, where my father threw me in the audience and said, speak. How old were you? How old were you? I was age eight. Okay. Age eight, yeah. And when I was 14, I was ordained as a minister. And I was given the, the kind of mandate to take over my father's ministry. And I knew that this wasn't really my path um, in terms of the expression. I wanted to help people, but it just something didn't resonate. And so I think like many of us, I didn't have the courage to speak my truth. And so I said nothing. And for four years, I tried to fit myself into a box of being who I thought I needed to be in order to be loved, in order to be validated, you know, and it was difficult. A lot of inner turmoil, a lot of questioning. And when I turned 18, my life really shifted in a very profound way because I looked into my future and I had certain decisions to make. And I looked into my future and I saw that I needed to decide university, no university. I chose no university. I figured if I want to help people with life, life has more to teach me than studying in a school. And so I chose not to go to university, again, much to the surprise of those around me. And I looked into my future and I saw that I could follow the expected path. I could take over my father's churches and organization. But if I did not have myself, if I didn't have my truth, if I didn't have my own integrity, if I didn't have my own, you know, self-trust, then what kind of success is that? That you can't be truly fulfilled and happy being someone that you're not and living someone else's life. And so I left everything behind. I renounced everything and gave everything up and had decided I had to have the conversation with my father because I felt a calling to come to America. I wanted to come to the US, you know, I wanted to come to America. I wanted to meet many of the, you know, I, I would sneak into my father's office and I would steal his books. He had a thousand books on his bookshelf. Everyone from the Eastern mystics, you know, Osho, Ugananda, 
Krishnamurti, uh, Theosophical Society, Madame Blavatsky, to Wayne Dyer, Louise Hay, Deepak Chopra, Marianne Williamson. And, and I wanted to meet these people, the living folks, you know, Louise Hay and Marianne and Chopra. And I wanted to study with them. And so I, my, my soul called me to come to L.A., Los Angeles. And uh, sometimes what your soul guides you to do doesn't always make sense to your mind. Sometimes what your soul guides you to do isn't always convenient. You know, sometimes what your soul guides you to do isn't always comfortable. But I have found that when you listen to your soul, you will always end up in the right place at the right time, doing the right thing with the right people, even if it doesn't make sense in the moment. Decided to follow my soul and I told my father, had the conversation. We didn't speak for two and a half years. Uh, it was very challenging for me, but I knew that I had to follow my soul. And so that's what I did. Came to the U.S., two suitcases, $800 in my pocket. Knew no one in the country just following my soul and being guided. And I landed here, met many people. And after a couple of years of being here, I, I, want, I wanted to go deeper. You know, I wanted to know truth for myself. And so I ended up traveling. I went to the uh, Walk the Camino in northern Spain, an 800, 900 kilometer trek in search of answers. On that trip, my life changed again because a man said, hey, if you really want to know truth, go to India. This is the motherland. And so... <laughs> okay. I found myself, shaved my head, a backpack, going to India for four months. How old were you? I was about 21-ish, you know. And I said, I'm not coming back to America until I find answers for myself. I was tired of reading the books. I'm like, I want to know truth for myself. And I traveled all over India, far and wide, met with guru after guru after guru after guru and temple after temple just trying to find my truth and you know what did you so find <laughs> i would say that certain things happened for me that awakened me to something deeper and my deeper sense of purpose awakened me to my deeper sense of truth and that changed my life and that's when i knew that i needed to come back to america to the west to to be of service you know and i start i came back and i was a young kid and i began coaching people one-on-one -on -one. And I uh, began coaching people one-on-one, -on -one, and then one person came, another person came, another person came, and before you knew it, I created a whole way of working with people, and people started coming from around the world. And 20 years later, here we are. So there are so many things that I want to explore, and you strike me as someone who has always created your own path. Mm. And I, I relate to that because I, I moved to the U.S., America, about eight years ago. And I, when I was 27, I moved to the U.S. I lived in northern India. You know, I, I was I was born and raised in India. I I never followed anyone's constructs. You know, in India, when you grow up in India, you have to follow uh -huh. so many constructs. You have yeah. to follow religious yeah. beliefs and patterns. I never subscribed to those beliefs and yeah. spirituality. And when I came to the U.S., I saw that everyone is moving towards Eastern philosophy. Uh -huh. Right. And I came from there, like there is some disconnect. So yeah. now I don't subscribe to any religion, but I have a deeper faith mm -hmm. in higher power or higher intelligence. Mm -hmm. So, so good. So you, when you were 18, you, you came to the U.S. So yes. were you living in London before that or were you living I was, in Yes, I was living in London. We left Ghana when I was three years old because of a bloody political coup. The president who I was named after was killed. And they were looking for my father. By a stroke of grace, my father happened to be in London. And my mother and I were in Ghana, a Japanese woman and her 
baby boy. And so we ended up having to be kind of smuggled out of uh, Ghana to London and couldn't go back due to a political situation and ended up in London. And that's how I was basically raised in London. And, you know, it's grace, man. Sometimes I think, wow, life would have been very different had I grown up in Ghana. And so everything is, is divine, divine unfolding. Divine unfolding. Do you have connections with Africa now, West Africa? Yeah, I used to, the last five years, I, I've, I used to go back every three, four months, you know. Yeah, until my father passed away last year, I would go back to see him every three to four months and, and be with him and, and just, uh, yeah, developing things there, doing different businesses there now. So, Yeah, I remember you saying that while growing up, you had so many different books in your father's library. I'm paraphrasing, you know, book of Osho, Eastern Philosophy. Yes, yes, so yes. This is not a normal childhood, <laughs> normal, normal childhood. So how was that different for you as compared to other children of your age at the time. You know, I, I didn't really, to be honest, I didn't feel, I didn't know it was not normal because I didn't really know. I mean, on Sundays and most of our life was a bit different, but we would go to church on Fridays and Sundays and, and, and I would see these miracles happen and I didn't think anything of it. Then I go to school on Monday and talk about soccer and, you know, all sorts of BS kid stuff, right? And and I didn't think about it, but there was this whole sense for me of feeling, look, feeling like an outsider, I was on one level, I was African, I was black, but I wasn't because my mother was Japanese, but I wasn't Japanese, but I was, but then I'm living in the UK and so I'm British, but I'm not. And so wherever I went, I was not really i'm not black because when i'm in ghana they're like you're not ghanaian when i'm in japan <laughs> they're like you're not japanese in britain i'm not really british so what the hell am i you know and that really i felt you know you could see it as a curse but on one level it, it it's part of what drove me to ask the questions of who am i and what am i and if I'm not this and I'm not that, then I'm not this, then where do I belong? And what is my true nature? What is my identity? What nationality am I? And it made me question a lot because I didn't feel really at home wherever I was, you know, and, and, and which then also made me feel at home wherever I was at the same time. And so that started a deep questioning of like, who am I? And what am I really? And, 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 and through my reading of Autobiography of a Yogi and different books, Krishnamurti, I, I started to realize that I'm, I'm not this body. I'm not this form. The soul has no passport. The soul has no nationality. The soul has no skin color. You know, my mother was yellow as a Japanese woman, and I didn't really see skin color. I just saw the soul. So in that sense, it was a great, it was different. It was a blessing because I didn't identify with anything, but I identified with everything at the same time. And then that was, it became a real blessing. And so as a boy, on the other level, there was a level of loneliness that came more from being a very, very, very spiritual kid. And, you know, I would come home. Like the first self-help book I read, I was age eight, a book called Creative Visualization. And I would come home every night from age eight, age nine, age 10. And I would steal books from my father's bookshelf and I would come home eat, do my homework, and for three, four hours, read. And I'd read and have sort of these, 
I'd meditate and have these experiences. And so this was a life that at 10 years old, who do you talk to anybody about? You know, and so There's one no level, there was one huge element of my life, my spiritual life that I never shared. You know, I remember being age 10 and seeing an infomercial on television by a guy called Tony Robbins. And he had did a 30-day personal power. I ordered, got my mother's help, ordered the infomercial, and this became my life. Who do you talk to people about? You know, who, who do you share that with? And so in many ways, I felt a bit different and a bit outsider, more on that spiritual sense, because that was something that I didn't find anybody at that age that I could relate to, you know? And, and so that drove me more inside, you know, that drove me to connect with God, you could say, or what I understood as God more deeply, because in that level, I didn't have friends. I had lots of friends superficially, but in that level. So on one level, it was quite lonely, you know, but on another level, it was a blessing because it also made me question, but it, it also made me not be afraid to be my own individual and not be afraid to follow my own path and not be afraid to just be who I am, you know. Thank you for sharing. So what is your current understanding of God? <laughs> What's your perception of God now compared to your older version when you were a child? God is everything. God is nothing. God is all. To me, God is energy. God is consciousness. God is what you are. God is what I am. God is all of existence. God, consciousness. God is just a label. God is a word. I don't care if you call it dog. God, cat, mouse, rat. It's just words. <laughs> but God is beyond concepts and God is beyond words. And if you, were, if you were to directly put me on the spot and say, hey, what is God? Then I would be forced to be in silence for the rest of this podcast because for me, any labels that you put on God, any words that you put on God, any, any description you put on God is not God. It's just pointing to something, but it's not that because that, that intelligence is beyond words is beyond description and any words we use to describe god is a limitation so i would just be silent more than anything but for me god is what i am god is what you are god is the source of existence god for the sake of labels you know is is just consciousness that manifests and consciousness manifests itself as a multiplicity of form in this total play that is life itself a cosmic play that is life and and to me life is is the divine is God seeking to experience itself in all shades and forms and flavors of life as me, as you, as Trump, as Biden, as Putin, as Oprah, as Elon Musk, as Bezos, as Ramakrishna, as it all? And so God is everything and God is nothing. And so in that sense, everything is God, you know? You're God yes, right and now. You are God speaking to me in the voice of Nishant. It's like the voice of God that is communicating through this costume that happens to be the Nishant costume right now. And so for me, God is not the costume. God is the essence. And what I am is what you are. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. And we, we as human beings try to put God into a box, yeah. <laughs> right? And Wayne Dyer used to say that. I'm a big fan of Wayne Dyer. I followed his work so deeply. You know, I would wake up in the morning and I would just listen to Wayne Dyer and now my my favorite spiritual teacher is Abraham Hicks. My, my okay. morning starts from Abraham Hicks. So Wayne Dye used to say that you find God in silence 
And how do we find silence? Silence through meditation, through mm-hmm. different healing modalities. Mm-hmm. And when we find God, basically we find ourselves. We find the mm-hmm. truth, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And sometimes we're afraid of the silence and we're afraid of the stillness because the ego, that which we mistakenly perceive ourselves to be, you know, based on this mind-body mechanism that we identify with and we've been conditioned to believe that I am this, ego is reinforced through activity. And ego is reinforced through busyness and doingness and doingness and more doingness. And so to be silent and the job of the ego is to reinforce, the job of the ego is to protect you from getting hurt like you were hurt back then. And the job of the ego is to reinforce its existence. And so to be still and be silent and to sit is kind of terrifying for the ego because it's no longer in activity. And oh shit, if I'm not in activity anymore, then who, who will... I be. And so sometimes we tend to resist. If you notice as human beings, we kind of sometimes tend to resist meditation. I think if you speak <laughs> to a cross section of, of, of humanity, if we're honest, like, did you meditate last month? Well, maybe like 10%, 15%. Why? What, 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 what's so difficult about sit there and do nothing? <laughs> because when we sit and do nothing, ego doesn't get reinforced. And so the simplest thing, which is sit and meditate and be still, is terrifying to the ego, which needs activity to reinforce itself, you know. And so, yeah, it's a bit scary to sit still and just be. So I'm curious, what's your relationship with meditation now? How do you cultivate silence in your busy schedule? There were periods of my life many, many years ago where I meditated for four, five, six hours a day. But I also didn't have a lot going on. And that was a phase of my life. And then there were moments where I meditated for an hour a day. And there are moments where now, you know, sometimes it's 20, 30 minutes a day, just depending on the day. But more and more, I think that there's two levels of it. I think that to access a dimension of your being and to rest in the dimension of your being that is eternally silent. Because within us, there is a silence. And within us, there is a peace. And within us, you know, the kingdom of heaven is within. The within us is a dimension of us that is is peace. And I think silence isn't just sitting and doing nothing. It is resting in that place within us. And so for me, you could say the endeavor has been to be in meditation all the time, regardless of activity, and to rest in the silence of being, regardless of doing regardless of activity, regardless of what it looks like on the physical surface, has it been a a cultivation? And so, yes, do I sit and meditate? Yes, yes, I do. But just because the physical act of meditation stops doesn't mean that meditation stops. You know, I think there's a meditation that can continue even while we're in motion by resting within ourselves. Exactly. And and in this podcasting experience, my my head may want to take the control. What should I ask? Now, do I stay in this question? So the art of meditation for me is to be, to truly tune into your soul, to truly tune into this energy that we are exchanging. And when I practice tuning into that energy, the the next, what is next? Arises. It arises naturally, you know. To live to live meditatively is to live moment to moment with just awareness. And and then you start to surrender and let go 
which can be scary for the ego because the ego wants to be in control and the ego wants to be the one that is doing everything. But as you meditate and you let go and the attachment to egoicness dissolves, you begin to realize I have found what is really in control, what is really unfolding. And you begin to see that even while you are not the doer and you are not the doer and doing, everything gets done. And it's like, as you meditate and let go, you rest into being and, and, and God works through you. God functions through you. It was Jesus that said, the miracle worker, right? Jesus that said, it is not I, I, I as a limited ego, I that does the work. It is the father that does the work through me. Consciousness, the divine, whatever labels we want to put does the work through me. So he realized that he was not the doer of life that life was really what was doing him and functioning through him. And I think that's when the miraculous unfolds and the miraculous happens through us, you know, and, 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 and actions start arising from a deeper dimension than mind, a spontaneous arising from within us. And I think that, that's, that's being in the flow and that's, that's true freedom. So how does someone train themselves? Because we are living in this constant fast-paced world. So how does someone train themselves to live in this God consciousness or awareness or very deep in the state of flow? How do we, what, what, what could be the practices that people can? Yeah, yeah, I could say, you know, meditate, you know, that's one, just cultivate that meditation practice. But I don't know if it's so much training yourself. Maybe it's more untraining yourself. <laughs> Let's because, talk about that. Right, right. Because, because flow, God consciousness, is your natural state. It's your natural beingness. Mm. It's what you are. It's what I am. So we can't like become more of what we are. To me, the spiritual path is not a well, path stage. of becoming more. Because how do you become more of what you are? Like you're, nish you're, already you're, you're, you're Nishan. Well, how do you become more Nishan? How do you, you're a guy. How do you become more of a man? You are. You are that. How does a cat become more of a cat? How does a dog become more of a dog? You are that. So if anything, <laughs> it's, it's an untraining of the illusory conditioning that prevents us from seeing our true nature. Do you, you understand? And so because we exactly. become so conditioned. So here's how we get conditioned, ju just because I think this might also be helpful. We are God consciousness. We are, we are pure, whole, free, whole, perfect beingness. You look at a child. A baby child, a newborn, a child, a few months old, before they get really conditioned, they're free, man. You look into a child's eyes, they look at you without any sense of judgment, prejudice, nothing. They're just being. They poop when they feel like pooping. They cry when <laughs> they feel like crying. They laugh when they feel like laughing. They're just being whatever it is. There is no filter. They're, they're just being. They're in complete flow, and there's no shame. Oh, I pooped my pants. Look at me. It's like, no, they're just being. You know, you and I, we make, <laughs> as adults, we make a little mistake. We're like, ah, the world is over. They, they, they poop their pants, diapers are full. They're just being just pure. And so we were all in touch with that. We would, they, they didn't have the self-consciousness. So they would jump on a table and sing. They didn't care if they didn't sound like Bruno Mars or Adele. They were just free. They ran naked. They didn't care what they looked like on Instagram. So what happened? We were born free. But then we incarnated into the human domain, the human experience. We met our parents. And God bless our parents. 
They were doing the best that they knew how to do. You know, I'm sure you have interesting parents. I have interesting parents. God bless their souls. But they were conditioned by by their parents and their parents. And so now we're born into a preset pattern of conditioning, right? And karma and and, and programming. And so maybe dad was crazy. Maybe mom's an alcoholic. Maybe they're fighting all the time. Maybe they're good people, but they didn't know how to meet our emotional needs. And that was painful for us as children. So two things happened. The first thing is we learn all sorts of strategies to shut down, disconnect, and not feel. We learn to suppress Suppress our feelings, suppress our feelings, lays and lays and lays and lays and lays of unfelt feeling begins to build up and cover up our true light and true authenticity and true nature. And we kind of erect walls around our heart in order to not feel the pain of what is going on around us, of not having our needs met and feeling helpless. And now we become closed and go into a strategy of control. And I've got to control life in order to not feel the pain. And so then we learn all sorts of ways to, we become who we think we need to be in order to get love, validation, and approval. Oh, dad wants me to be this way. Oh, when when I get all A's, dad loves me. When I'm quiet, mom loves me. When I'm nice, I get love from both. Oh, who do I need to be in order to get love, validation, approval? We develop a role. We develop a mask. We develop a persona. We develop a limit, a a character that ends up becoming who we think we are. And we contort ourselves into the shape to become who we think we need to be. We become the nice person, the independent person, the funny person, the over-responsible person, the caretaker of everyone, the, the funny one. And we now contort ourselves into the shape and the version of ourselves that we become is what we believe ourselves to be. And we identify with that. And that gets reinforced by those around us. And now we believe that's who we are. And now we hold on to that way of being. But the thing is, is who we are, is who we think we are, who, who we really are, or is it just what we've been conditioned to be? And most of us, we, we don't realize that we're conditioned. We don't realize that we are a set pattern of conditioning and programs that we're so attached to and holding on to and and, and gripping to for a sense of safety. And, And that identification is ego. Ego is not a thing. Ego is a process of identification. And the more we identify as coot, nishant, this thing, this belief structure, the less free we are to flow, the less free we are to surrender and let go and trust life. Because no, no, I got to be in control. And if I let go of the strategies that I've learned to avoid pain and get love, then I might get hurt. Or then who the hell am I going to be? I'm not going to be the doer anymore. And so we hold on. And so we have to untrain ourselves from the strategies and mechanisms that if I if I allow myself to feel and open my heart and fall in love again, I might feel the helplessness that I felt as a child. So no, 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 no. I've got to maintain distance, got to, got to be in control. And so to let go can feel scary. And so it's not even about, you could say, training because to, to let go and you could say, to let go and let God, to let go and be in God consciousness sounds great. But for the ego, which we believe ourselves to be, that is terrifying because that surrender feels like a death of what we believe ourselves to be. So we have to first become aware, number one, that we're conditioned. Number two, that the conditioned version of ourself, as much as we think it's us, is not who we really are. 
is just conditioning. It's just a pattern of programs and conditioning that we attach to that as we dissolve and let go, it's not us that's dying. It's just our identification and our patterning that's dying because what we are cannot die and what we are is already always the case, divine God consciousness. And so I think that if we can start becoming aware of our conditioning, becoming conscious of our conditioning and, and, and working with our conditioning, you know, sometimes it might mean doing the mental, emotional, human, therapeutic work on a human level to, to loosen the grip of our conditioning so that we can allow ourselves to relax, allow those patterns of control to relax. And the ways that we seek to control life and not rest into, as you say, God consciousness is not bad. It's just well-meaning self-protection, you know, well-meaning methods of control and self-protection and self-preservation. And so when we can understand that, then rather than fighting ourselves or forcing ourselves to let go, we can meet ourselves with some loving, meet ourselves with compassion, meet ourselves with kindness, meet ourselves with, with care, meet ourselves with tenderness. And, and to me, then we can bring healing to those parts of ourselves that are holding on to our sense of self for dear life and slowly just relax and let go and let go and let go and let go. So through doing the human personal process in a work while doing the spirit, which helps loosen the grip of our own ego and bringing loving to those parts of ourselves so we can heal, which gives us the ability to let go, and also doing the spiritual work through our meditation to connect with the divine that can help loosen the grip of our own egoic grip as well. The combination, I think, is necessary. Exactly. Physical physical work, mind, body, emotional, yes. mental, spiritual work. And I have so many questions that I want to go deeper into this. You know, in oh. my personal life, I have... I've been on this path for the last six, seven years, very deep, you know, unconditioning, untraining the old patterns sure. and having gone through different kinds of coaching <laughs> and therapy and healing modalities. You know, we have ancestral healing, different, different kinds of healing modalities, you know, inner child healing. So I'm curious, could for you that what, what kind of framework do you have for yourself now for unconditioning because this process of unconditioning is never ending for process for you and process for your clients how do you take someone from point a to point b in in that framework as if someone listened to this podcast they're like okay yeah. listen that how do i go from it, here it's not a formula but as i mentioned the first step is you have to be conscious and aware i wish i could say step one step two step three step one, check off boom push a push a button on the vending machine and now you transform yeah it's there a, is no process it, 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 it's it's a it's a process and it's the process of life. And so I think, as I mentioned, the first step is you, you, we have to start becoming conscious that we're conditioned. Because if we're not conscious, nothing shifts. Then we have to be willing to investigate and question our conditioning. As simple as it sounds, the ego doesn't want to change. The ego doesn't want to question. Because when we start questioning ourselves, that's terrifying for the ego because that feels like a death. Because if I don't believe the things I used to believe, then who the hell am I? Because I believe I am my beliefs. And so we have to be willing. We have to question. We also have to be willing to, to excavate and feel 
and release the feelings that we've learned to so suppress as a way of keeping ourselves safe so that we can let some of those feelings go. Um, and I think that's a huge phase in the process of feeling the feelings and releasing those feelings that we've learned to suppress, you know, and that's, that's really the, the internal work, you know, and then learning to bring loving to those parts of ourselves that are, that are really hurting, you know? And so that, that's kind of a, a little bit of a process of doing the work and yeah, what I do, what I do and the work I have done for 20 years is I've created, whether it was one-on-one, which I don't do much of anymore, but one-on-one, I created specific customized processes to help people through that because each individual is different with right. unique backgrounds and unique conditioning. But when I take people to, let's say, my event in Bali for 12 days, it is a 12-day process, a systematic, you could say, step-by-step process of helping people deal with and unravel the layers of conditioning so that they can truly let go and process and feel and release and heal. And, and so this is that, called boundless, boundless bliss Bali. So it's a 12-day journey that you take people all over the world, from all over the world to Bali. Yes, 12 days. 12 days. So how many how many experiences do you create per year? Is it like a one experience? I do, I do twice a year. The last 12 years, I've done 21 of those events. Wow. This December, the 5th through the 16th, is the final event I'm going to be doing uh, in Bali. I'm going to be focusing on creating different events now, bigger events, larger events. But it's it's a very, very special, unique, deep process. And so I would say if someone really wants to heal and go through a process of unraveling and, and, and unconditioning, it's one of the deepest on the planet. Yeah, that would be amazing for the podcast listeners if they want to spent yeah. 12 days in Bali and we will put the links in the show notes. I'm actually going to India in November after four years. Otherwise, I would have loved to join uh, you in Bali uh, in December. And so when I was going through that boundless bliss, Bali, triple B, <laughs> on your website, it says that it is going beyond mind and going beyond your heart and you're going into your depths of your soul. So I want to touch base on that because I'm also creating my own event in the U.S. to to take people from head to heart. But do you say that you're going beyond head and going beyond heart and going into the depths of soul? So mm-hmm. could you elaborate more on that, like what happens in that journey? I mean, I don't really share the specifics of what happens on the journey just because the specifics are more confidential. But I create a process. That's what I do. That's what I've done for years. That's why... People come to me. I create a process that helps people unravel the layers of their conditioning. And when we do, you start realizing that you are not your conditioning. You are not your patterns. You're not your thoughts. And as you let go of the identification and as you let go of the emotions that have been stored, as you, to me, transformation is a process of subtraction. And as you let go and as you let go layer upon layer, you, you, you rest back in touch with the real essence of what you are. And I think at that deepest level, what we are is that pure soul that we just kind of have lost touch with. It's always there. We've just lost touch with it because it's been covered up under traumas and pain and hurts and shame and emotions that we've pressed. And so for me, I just help people peel those layers away in a very intensive, uh, focused, effective way. Uh, and, and, and what remains, you know, it's like, let's find, I tell people, be willing to not know who you are. 
because we often get so sure about who we think that we are. Oh, I'm this, I'm that, I'm this. this. And I say, be willing to not know who you are. Because if you're willing to not know who you are, then the real you can emerge. And I think the real you has never been hurt. The real you has never been conditioned. The real you is pure. The real you is whole. And, and, and so as I work with people, more than just me telling you like this, I'm interested in people having a direct experience of their true self Absolutely. And, and telling me, what does it feel like? What does it taste like? And it's different because you can read about it in a book. You can read The Power of Now. You can read, you know, my <laughs> books. You can, I mean, it's great, but it's just like, that's like reading the menu. You can read a menu. Hey, you know, here's this sag paneer. Here's this, you know, <laughs> you know, chicken tikka masala. Here's, it's great. I read it, but I don't feel it. It's different. It's different when you, it, when you taste it for yourself. It's a, it's a different experience. So I'm not someone that just, yeah, I write books. I've written two best-selling books. But my real work is, is taking people through an experiential process so that you have a taste of your own essence. And your own essence is, is that pure soul. It's beyond the mind. It's beyond the body. And it's beyond the mind. Because the mind is conditioned. The mind is what you believe will change. What you believe, like if you were born in a, in a let's see, if you were born in a Israel, you would be Jewish and you would believe things that Jewish people believe. If you were born in Denmark, you would believe certain things mentally, right? If you were born in, you would believe other things. And so we have to go beyond the mind because you are not the mind and you are not the thoughts, and, and, and so much of what we believe is just belief structures and the stories that we make up in our mind that is not who we are. There's certain things that you and I, we believed when we were five. We don't believe now. When we believed five years ago, we don't believe now. So beliefs will change, but the soul and the essence of what you are will not change. And that's what we are. That's what's pure. You know, the, the movie, if you go to a movie, the, 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 yeah, the images on the movie screen will change. Different, move, different uh, movies projected onto that screen, but the background will not change. It's unchanging. And so for me, going beyond the mind is, 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 is where you will find a new kind of freedom that is infinite. You know? And, and that, that's what I endeavor to have people experience. Is there any application process? What is the intake process to yeah people if you feel the call if you feel the calling you 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 know we only really take people that feel a calling and feel committed i've done 21 of these events you know and and i don't make it just easy for anyone to sign up because you because i really take you through a, a deep process of 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 freedom and unconditioning and healing so you have to be committed you have to want it um and people if you go to the website balancebusbali.com and you feel it, you apply. Uh, my right-hand person will interview you and make sure you're a right fit and your calling is real. And if so, we rock on. Do I, do I get a free pass to go to Bali or do I have to go through the interview process? Uh, if, if my mother applied, I would tell her that she needs to go through the interview process. Wow. I do not compromise the process for anybody. The process is the process because my commitment is to transform people. I don't play games with people's evolution. And so I don't shortchange anybody. 
everybody that comes to me comes through this process that is in Bali. You're a soul. And I don't compromise the soul because I've been on your podcast or because you're my mother. If my mother replied, she would have to go through the same process and I would facilitate the process. <laughs> I love Not that. as my mother, but her as a soul on the journey of life. Yes, thank you for sharing. Thank you for saying that. And yes, we have talked about that. We are not labels. We are beyond labels. We we don't identify ourselves as label. But still, we are living in this three-dimensional world, mm -hmm. right? We say that I work as this, I work as that. Would you consider yourself as a healer? Do you, ever, you, do you ever see that label on my website? No, I'm curious. No, no. I see. I, I, do I consider myself as a healer? I mean, to me, these are just words more than anything. You know, I don't, I'm not really attached to the labels and calling myself a healer or not a healer. I kind of like to let my work speak for itself. And I've been doing this a long time. I've done 21 events to Bali. Most of this is referral. Most people will say that they have been healed. Most people will say that is perhaps the most transformational thing that they've ever done. And most of those people have done a lot of things. So am I a healer? I let people make that determination for themselves. You know, I come from a background of healers. My father is a healer. My grandfather is a healer. Am I a healer? Maybe, maybe not. Who knows? But what I do believe is there is innate intelligence inside of everybody. You cut your finger, the innate intelligence knows how to heal. So my job is to create the space and the process to allow the innate intelligence to work. So I don't like to say, well, I am a healer. I am doing the healing. If anything, God is the healer and the innate intelligence is the healer. I provide the space and I do my part and, you know, do the best I can. But I don't consider yeah, myself, the, you know, this or that. And I'm not too attached to the, to the labels. You know, I have to call myself something. So, okay, well, call myself a transformational teacher. <laughs> because <laughs> the website wouldn't look great if it was just blank, right? And so, yeah, but, but for me, yes, in the 3D, we, we kind of need labels to function. And so I would say labels are not really the issue. It's your relationship with the labels that's the issue. And, and, and many times we get so attached to the labels of like, I'm a healer, and that means, you know, and I'm the great guru, and I'm the great yogi, and I'm the, you know, I'm this and I'm that. And it, it's, the, it's the attachment to the labels that's the issues when you are so attached to the, to the label as a sense of your own identification, then, then you're limited, then you're hooked by ego. And so I think you can have the label. Because you need a label to just function in life. You're a coach. You're this. You're that. No problem. But if you don't take it too seriously, but it becomes a problem, if, if, if it's what you really believe yourself to be, then you're limited by the label and the label becomes limiting and the label becomes a prison. But labels on the issue, your relationship with the label is an issue, you know, more than right. anything. No different My than, coach. than identity and spirituality. And spirituality can become another label of, oh, look how spiritual I am and look how spiritual you're not versus, <laughs> you know, it, it just becomes another identity. And so identity is the issue more than the thing itself.
you know yeah in the spiritual communities a lot of spiritual bypassing starts to happen that <laughs> we have to be good we have to feel good all the time and we we start to suppress our emotions and oh. feelings to oh. to feel good all the time so my coach says that it's not the subject that is the issue the the charge on the subject and this is what we are saying is it's not the label that's a problem the the attachment with the label and we can have so many labels coach teacher guru healer so that, 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 the, yeah. Dalai, the Dalai Lama is a label right his holiness the Dalai exactly. Lama exactly right and if you said hey his holiness Dalai Lama he would probably turn around and say yes because that's a label and there has to be some level of understanding and identification to even respond if you, otherwise you would say hey Dalai Lama and he wouldn't even he would just sit there blank right and so the fact he turns around means there's some some label some identification but it's how you hold it now if he came and said hey Nishan do you know who I am kiss kiss my feet i am the great holiness the Dalai Lama and you should know who the hell i am and i am better than anybody i am the man the Dalai Lama. Now that that label has him, right? And that label <laughs> is now caught in that label. And, and and that's the trap that we have to avoid to not get limited by the labels that we hold. Yeah, and when the labels when the labels go away, we get depressed. Life exactly. falls apart. Exactly. You know? Yeah. So I know we we have limited amount of time on this yes. podcast with you and I want to touch upon your two books. Number 1 is you are the one and number your recent book is magic of surrender magic can of surrender. we talk about your book magic of surrender yeah magic of surrender it's it's a, it's a special book you know we we have this this was not the book i thought i was going to write this was not the book i wanted to write i had my own ideas but life had other life had other plans you know and so i had to i was very humbled because when i got clear that the book had a soul of its own I realized I was not the one writing the book. The book was being written through me and I was just a vessel and a vehicle for the book. And so I think in our culture today we have so many misconceptions on the word surrender or what surrender is and what surrender isn't. That surrender is weak, that surrender is passive, that surrender is giving up, that surrender is waving the white flag that if you surrender you're going to be taken advantage of, you're going to be a doormat, you're going to be left behind, you won't manifest your goals, dreams and desires. Right. And so why would you want to surrender if that's the case? And so for me, I believe that surrender is the most powerful thing that we can do. That surrender is the real secret. You talk about the real secret to manifestation. That surrender is the real secret to the next level manifestation. That surrender is the real key to greatness, the real key to the next level. If you look at the great ones, Jesus, Buddha, Gandhi, Mother Teresa, Martin Luther King, Mandela, at some point they all surrendered themselves to life. They all surrendered themselves to God. They all surrendered themselves to that purpose that was bigger than themselves. And that's when life began to flow through them and use them and express through them in ways that they could not have even imagined. Life began to live them, you know, and in that surrender, they transcended their human limitations and they tapped into another dimension of life and potential and life began to use them. And that was the magic. And so for me, surrender is, just to be clear, it is a letting go of control, or I should say a letting go of the illusion of control. 
that we're in control in the first place. Surrender is a when you stop trying to force life to fit your limited idea of how you think it should be and who you think you should be. Surrender is when you take the limitations off of life and you become available and open to grace and life and life showing you, life leading you. And that's when I think the magic happens, you know. Surrender is surrender is the password to freedom. And if you want more magic in your life, this way I call the book The Magic of Surrender. If you want more magic in your life, you got to surrender. But most of us, we don't want to surrender. To me, the next level of your life requires the next level of you. The next level of you requires that you let go of that which is no longer aligned. But we tend to hold on to that which is no longer aligned out of comfort, out of self-preservation, out of fear, not realizing that holding on is what blocks our blessing, what blocks the manifestation of grace and the next level of flow. And so I think when we let go, we make space. And that's when magic happens. Yeah, I've been practicing and it's a deep practice of letting go, deep, deep, yes. every, every day practice of truly surrender. <clears throat> and I practice of the art of surrender every yes. day for the past yes. two years. And I read Michael Singer's surrender okay. experiment nice. nice right and i ask myself every day what do i want and what life wants me to do am i getting when when i'm trying to get in the way of life i know i'm yes. getting too much in my head yes. versus when life is flowing through me when life is moving through me i'm more in my body my nervous system is calm so so for me the feeling how am i feeling when i'm trying to control something i'm too much in my head yes. versus when i'm calm and for example, last year, last year I had done two years of podcasting. After two years of podcasting, my motivation was going down. I was like, I've done 200 episodes in two years. I don't need more. I start podcasting. Life asked me to stop, basically. And this year I resume podcasting with, with nothing to prove to anyone, to have fun and enjoy more and, and deepen more connections and relationships and letting go of the questions mm-hmm. and the 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 preparation and be more in the present mm, <laughs> so surrender and in your book i saw that you had you mentioned eight eight codes i know we don't have time to get yes yeah. so thank you so much good for this amazing conversation and where can people find you online yeah l- listen people can get the book the magic of surrender check it out it's available on amazon you can get the paperback version let's see if you're inspired by the conversation and feel like you're ready for the next level, join me in Bali this December, December the 5th through the 16th. This is the final Bali event I, I will be doing ever. And I'll be creating other what? events. But this is the final, yeah, this is the final one. This is number 22 for me. Mm. So it's, it's a good number to complete. And December the 5th through the 16th, you can go to www.boundlessblissbali.com. That's boundlessblissbali.com. And so if you are ready, go there, find out more and apply now. Uh, my main website, kootblackson.com. Uh, Instagram, my name, K-U-T-E, Coot Blackson. And follow me there. Also, Facebook, Coot Love Now. Thank you so much, Coot. It's been an honor to have this amazing God consciousness conversation. We will put all the links in the show notes and share with Thank you. you. Thank you. Appreciate Thank you. it. Thank you for listening to this podcast episode today. If you did enjoy this, please subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or you can visit https://nishangarg.me 
n i s h a n t g a r g dot me. You can also share this episode with your loved ones to help them live a fulfilled life. You are not alone in this journey. We all struggle in life. There is no shame in talking about it. I go through my highs and lows. I get depressed, and these practices help me in living a resilient life. You can also do this. You got this. Don't judge yourself. You are doing the best you can. And thank you so much again.